How many of you really believe, as we began tonight, how many of you really believe that when Jesus returns to this earth, that what he is looking for is faith? And probably it would be better understood if we said when the Lord comes back, he'll be looking for people who are faithful to him. Not faithful to a religious system. There's a lot of that. I don't degrade that. A lot of people are giving it their best to do what they can for their church and all of that. That's fine. Would to God everybody would. But what Jesus is looking for is not something that you're doing hoping it's the right thing to do, but he's looking for those who, when he comes back, will be doing what he wants done, things that they've been taught to do, living the way that they have been told to live, having their hands on that plow going the direction that he pulls us and not in something else they hope is good enough and that he'll understand works too. But when the Son of Man comes, he's looking for those in the faith, that without faith it is impossible to please God. Two verses like that, Luke 18, 8 and Hebrews eleven six. 6. When you realize that without faith we can't please God, then we ought to major on it. And again, for the thousandth time since I've been here, we ought to know what that means and get to the bottom of that and make sure of all of our religious activities and all of our religious aspirations to make sure that we are in the compass of God's faith or in the microscope of his faith. Whatever that means, we ought to be there. And faith is not the name of your religious system, the Baptist faith, Methodist faith, Catholic faith. It's not the name of a traditional religious system. Faith is not saying, I believe. Anybody can say they believe. The Bible said the devil believes. But it's a life you live. It's a life you live that is in harmony with what God has said in his word. That means that the only important thing for us to teach is the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That meshes with what Jesus told Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, thou art weird. He said, you're so concerned about so much, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing really is necessary in life. And that's the thing that Mary has chosen, which is listening to the word of God. Because from that, you not only gain light and insight as to who God is, but how to live the way God wants you to live. We must emphasize that you as witnesses of the Lord. You must tell that to other people too. We must live on his terms, for that is what Christianity is. Now, we've been talking about for the last three weeks the faith that God gives his own. And for the last two of those three weeks, we've majored on the natural mind. It's 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12 through 14 where he says, A natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, nor can he know them. He cannot know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Discerned meaning understood and seen. Got it. Understand it. So the biggest hindrance to a man walking by faith, living the life that God wants, the biggest hindrance that all of us have is a natural mind. It's just the natural things. You know, the natural mind was seen in one of the good men in the Pharisees, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. And he said, that don't make sense. Now I'm putting that in my words. 
I talk to myself like this all the time. I preach these sermons and I have a debate with myself. So I say, well, that doesn't make sense. See, my natural mind is that when you're born, you're born naturally. You come out of your mother and you begin breathing. They have to raise you up and all that kind of stuff. And, and to be born again, she's not even alive. How can I do this? How can I be born another time? Jesus didn't try to explain that to him. He just simply told him that it's something outside of yourself, something you can't explain. It's like the wind. The wind blows. You don't know where it came from. You can't see it. You felt it. You knew it was there, but there was no way you could explain how it got here or where it went when it got here. And she said, so it is with God. The things that God does, the essential and necessary and vital things that God does are not things that you can explain in a laboratory or a college classroom. The most intelligent people in the world can explain this. But it can be understood by a simple child when God makes that to be understood. I'm a new creature in Christ, not a new biological person. I'm a new Zoe person. I have a new life inside of me. I've got the same nose, same eyes, same height, the same brain. Still have the same flaws and problems. But I've got something new on the inside of me that was put there by God who is above. Now the purpose of this life is to change me and regenerate me and change everything about me. But it's a new birth. And people with the natural mind, just he, he sits there and he hears that. And because he's in a place where so many say they are born again, he says he is too. Yeah, I've been born again. He don't know what it is. He has no clue. But yeah, I've been born again, which means I have went through catechism if I was a Catholic. Or I went through some other church program and graduated into the sanctuary from the youth church, whatever that is. And so when you go through the program or system, they say, well, that's like being born again. So you well, I'm born again, but that's not what it is. And you can't explain it that way. You remember the time at Moses in Numbers 11, he said to God, who said, I'm going to give meat to the people. Now Moses is in a desert. One of the great miracles in scripture is the Exodus. One of the great ones, probably the greatest. And they're in a desert. And there's not a lot of woods to cut down. There's not a lot of grass for cows to graze on. They had thousands of head. Moses said to God, we got 600,000 footmen. Now, it doesn't talk about the women and the children as much as these are the men who are the grown-ups in the camp. The 600,000 of them means there might be that many more of all the rest of them, so you might at least a million and a half. But let's just say what he said. We're 600,000 footmen. Are we going to kill all the cows and all the sheep? Or are we going to empty the ocean of all the food to give these people meat? Because they were crying. They wanted to go back to Egypt. We want our leeks and our garlics and our onions and the flesh pots of Egypt were always cooking. And we enjoyed our evening meal eating meat. Lord, there's nothing out here like that. I mean, Moses was thinking, we're nowhere. We are absolutely nowhere. There's nothing here. You know what the Lord said to Moses? Because he would say it to any natural man, is the Lord's arm short? Are you telling me that something can't be done because you cannot understand how it can be done? 
Are you going to tell me you can go to a foreign field and you can't preach half of what the Bible says because it couldn't work there? For example, you couldn't preach prosperity in Africa because there's no way they could be. Are you saying God can't? Are you going to say that God could not perform his word in the most arid place? He already did it once. He already did it once. He did it for us to see that there's nothing impossible with God. But the natural mind not only limits man in his relationship to God, but the natural mind hinders you in your expectation of God. How could God do this? The doctor says to the natural mind, you know, this is a kind of a thing that doesn't go away. It's kind of a thing you're going to have to live with. You can scratch it the rest of your life, but it's one of those kind of things that will never go away. It's not a fatal thing, but you'll never get over this. And, well, then he, the gloom comes. Oh, man, I, I thought of all your all's inventions, you'd have something out there. It's like God said, wait a minute. Are you limiting God to the voice of a man? Can God not do something that man says he can't do? Is it Psalm 78, 41, you've limited God? Are we not willing to use our faith because of the natural mind, the natural unexpectancy of something? Are we unwilling to go out there in miracle land because people will laugh at us? What's too hard for God? A 90-year-old woman having a baby? That would have been a good one, wouldn't it? How old are you, Bonnie? But I mean, a 90-year-old woman having a baby? Or a 100-year-old man fathering it? The reason we laugh is because of our mind. That's not possible. It is possible. It doesn't happen all the time. It has happened. It can happen. You can't make it happen by saying, I believe it's going to happen for me. It doesn't work like that either. God specifically told Abraham, you're going to father a child. She's going to mother it. God said to Abraham, get you up from hence and go to the land. I'll show you. What direction is it that way? He just got up and went. His natural mind said, you're nuts. Where are you going? How do you know where you're going? How do you know you'll get there when you find it? I mean, where you? this is crazy, man. It's your future. You had a good job back in Iraq. You were doing good over there. Now you're headed to where? How many Christians quit because they think like that? How many Christians who think like that get on the phone and talk like that to each other and the poison that goes out of your mouth poisons other people because they might be next? It's all the natural mind. They can't discern that God, who spoke all the things they've been hearing for 30 years in church, and the Bible they've had in their lap all their saved life, and yet the content of Scripture never has captured the mind. You know, the Bible says something about the renewing of the mind, doesn't it? Don't y'all believe there's a verse in there that says something that our mind has to be renewed? Our mind naturally gravitates to the what is possible with man, and God says we're going to take it to what is possible with God. And because of that, you will be considered extreme, probably cultish. You'll be rejected, denied, set aside, scorned, mocked, and scoffed at in one degree or another. 
All because you've been willing to let a spiritual mind take over. But if you're not spiritually minded, then you're not his. Remember that, Romans 8? To be carnally minded or fleshly minded or naturally minded is death because you can't relate to God. You can hear about God, but you can't relate to him. You can't walk with him because you're not sure with your mind that he will do all these things he said he would. You remember Psalm 78 before he said that about you've limited God? The people complained to God, the Bible says. Made God angry, but they complained to God. They said, now he's drug us out here in this wilderness. We don't have much to eat out here, not hardly anything. Can he provide a table for us in this wilderness? He hit the rock and water's gushed out, but can we just have a continual gushing of water somewhere in a desert? There's no water in a desert. There's no grass out here except in those few places in a desert. They kept saying, did you bring us out here to die? Not knowing that God brought them to an impossible place to show him that he can do anything, even beyond that which you think. Brought them out there to show that to them, and then had it recorded for us so we would not have an evil heart of unbelief like they did. So that we can escape the natural consequences of their thinking and we can be on the side that says, with God, all things are possible. So I'm taking no thought. Taking no thought. And all your friends say, well, you'll die doing that. You'll get run over. You'll lose everything. That's crazy. Well, I got a choice because faith is a choice. I live by choices. So do you. How many times have we said this? We're all where we are tonight because of choices. Made some bad ones, you live with it. You can repent and be forgiven. You can make good ones, and your conscience be clear. But we live by choices. And to take God at his word is a choice. To draw back and say, I don't know about that, is also a choice. It's up to us. It's up to us. Now, how can we tell... When God gives us the kind of faith that he wants us to have. How can I tell I really do have faith? Well, let's begin tonight with the heart. Number one, you will know it in your heart. Now, the heart is a really big subject. Heart is used in many, many ways and throughout Scripture. Usually, it describes how you are on the inside. As a man thinketh in his Heart, so is he. Well, your heart there would be your mind. I think the Hebrew word is soul. As a man thinketh within himself, so he is. The heart is deceitful, the Bible says. Because the heart is so deceitful, you can act a certain way to impress people and gain their admiration, perhaps an advantage over them. I think preachers do it all the time. And kind of gain the advantage over people. And all the while, you're doing it with an angle. That's deceitfulness. But you can do that and get by with it. And people can't see your heart. God can. He'll judge you for it. They don't know you're a fraud or whatever. A man can tell a woman he loves her and act like he doesn't. A woman can tell a man she loves him and never show it. Because you can do that from your heart. Your heart says we should do that. But when you don't live that way, you're deceitful. So the heart is spoken of in so many, many ways in the Bible. But 
with regards to faith, it's Romans 10.10. He said, with the heart, man believes. Faith is a matter of a man's heart, man or woman, a person's heart. With the heart, man believes. If you have faith, you have it in your heart. Now, I distinguish the heart and the head here because a lot of people in the head have what we call wishing or hoping. I hope this works. I wish it would work. Perhaps if I do what the preacher said tonight, I will get healed or I will get my rent paid or whatever the need is. I will get my need met maybe if I do what he said. And that's all a matter of the mind, of the head. You're trying to make it work. Actually, it's called mental gymnastics. See, people are trying to make the word of God true by acting like they believe it. But yet, the Bible is true whether you believe it or not. It is true because God said it. If God said it, it is so. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good because he can. He has said nothing that is out of the bounds of his possibilities. Even to the raising of dead people, what more is there than that? Raising the dead. Because again, with God, nothing is impossible. But it's a matter of the heart. Not everything you really want does your heart give you the confidence that's going to work. You want that but not everybody has it. People have accused us saying, well, if you have so much faith, why don't you go to the hospital and just heal everybody down there? I wish I could. I do. Wish I could put a sack over my head so I know who I was and heal everybody in there. If they knew who you were, they'd want to bronze you and bow to you. But I can't believe anything I want to like that. Faith is a gift. God is the one who orchestrates faith in my heart. I have a mission and a direction in life that God puts me on. There's going to be lots of times in this life, not only for my sake, but the sake of my children or for you, that I'm going to be given things to believe that will be important for me to establish myself. Remember the verse, let thy profiting appear? There are things that I'm going to have to believe that God will give me to believe. But my heart will confirm that to me and say, you can do this. You can believe this. This will work for you. And it won't matter to me who I talk to and who doubts me and who challenges it. Ah, that's great. It won't matter. Nobody in the world will affect me because it's in my heart. I'm not trying to believe this. I'm not trying to make it work because I keep confessing it or something. I'm going to have you turn to several verses tonight, so get your thumb licked. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 8 and verse 15. Jesus describes a kind of heart that will be a faithful person or the kind of heart for whom faith will work. Again, faith is a matter of the heart. I prayed for a lot of people in my life, and when I pray for them, my heart says it won't work. So what do you do then? Do you understand what I just said? I don't have the inner confidence that can accommodate your need to know that I can release a positive, sincere, absolutely sure faith for that. You prayed for a lot of people in my life, and I knew it wouldn't work. 
I knew it wasn't going to come to pass. I tried to pray. I said, Lord, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. It's like rebuking the Lord. God did not give me in my heart the assurance that what I'm praying for is going to work. But what if I'd have said, well, I would pray for you, but it won't work for you. We're going to have to have the church come together now, I guess. What if we were that honest with each other and said, well, Thomas, I can't pray for you about that because I don't think it's going to work. Brother Hamilton, we preach faith. I said, I know we preach faith. We can't manufacture it necessarily. God gives it. Now, he puts in my heart how far I can go. I do wish I could pray for all the people in the hospital. If I could, I'd go to the children's hospital, Cosair first. Well, I'd empty that place as quick as I could. All those poor little bodies, poor children, never going to walk, play, ride a bike, go swimming. They're never going to do anything but have needs. I'd empty that place as fast as I could. But I can't. Well, couldn't God? God could. And God could tell you to go do it, and you could. Are you with me? But unless that's in my heart, all I can do is say, I wish I could do that. I cannot do that. God has not given me that. My heart would betray me if I said, I'm going to go do it. My conscience would condemn me for it. I cannot do something that God has himself not been willing to do. But it's a matter of the heart. It gets pretty quiet here. Look at verse 15. He said, the kind of heart that God wants is the kind of man in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keeps it and brings forth fruit with patience. Talking about the sower and the seed and the one for whom the seed sown will work. He describes an honest and a good heart. Just out of curiosity, I looked up the word honest. We all know what honest means, but just see what the technical people in the dictionary would say that honest means. It says, an honest heart is marked by integrity and sincere expression. I know this is going to work. I know I believe this. I know I do. I'm not going to act like I do when I really don't. There's something wrong with that. But he said, it's a heart that is marked by integrity and sincere expression. Not trying to confess faith. This is my part. Not trying to confess you have faith. And hoping that this thing works. But before you pray, having it settled in your heart. I have remarked many times in the period in my life I've spent here. just preaching here, teaching here. How many people are trying to make good confessions? Because it's sort of like, if I keep confessing this is going to work, then it'll work. I'm just going to confess. I'm going to confess I haven't. Folks, you can confess anything you want to for the rest of your life. And that is not a guarantee or an assurance that it'll work. If you believe it in your heart, you will say it naturally. Amen. What's wrong with you? <coughs> What's wrong with you, Hamilton? By stripes, I was healed. I don't feel healed. I don't look healed. I don't, I don't sound healed. But I don't live by my senses. I live by my faith. And if God says I am, then I confess that I am. I'm not trying to be. I just believe I am. And that's the way you do it. Yeah. Well, keep confessing it, brother. Maybe it'll work. I don't have to make, try and make it work. 
God's already given me the assurance. He'll make it work. (laughs) (laughs) On the basis of things like that, people think I'm weird. They think it's a lie. But wait a minute. Now, if your heart agrees with God and the word of God is in your heart, wouldn't you say what God said? If God says, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. If I was, I am. It's not I might be. If I was, I am. He did it. It's D-O-N-E done. Now, if I agree with God, said I agree with that, I am. Then I'm in harmony with the Lord. What if I read that, say that, sing songs about that, but I say, no, that's not true. I'm not healed. Now, he said you were. Your body says you're not. God says you are. Your body, God, senses faith. Natural man, spiritual man. You say you're not because you don't feel healed. That's a natural mind. God says you are because he said you are. That's spiritual. You can't explain that. You just have to accept it as true, which is what faith is. Faith calls those things that be not as though they are. They do not seem to be. It does not look like it is. But faith calls those things that are not as though they are. I don't say it's so because I see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, or hear it. I say it is so because God said it was so. I want an honest heart with this thing. If God says I am, I want to say I am. If my heart's not convinced of that, I will say, well, I know he said I was, but I sure don't have any evidence of that. Time out. Technical foul on you. You're out of the game. Did he say you were? Did he say you could do all things? Did he say, did he say, did he say 8,000 times in the Bible? Did he give you promises in the Bible for anything? Did he say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Did he say, when you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, you'll feel saved? Not necessarily. How do you feel saved? (laughs) Is that how you feel? You might. I guarantee you won't get up every morning and go, (laughs) for 15 years. But who doesn't mean you're saved? It's that acknowledgement in your heart. You know, I know in whom I have believed, and I am still persuaded that God is able in spite of how I feel. Had a bad day, got fired, a flat tire. My wife said, we're going to have another baby, and it's snowing. And I still believe. I still believe. I still believe it's true. Now, let me ask you something. In light of what the world thinks about this, why is that so strange? Is it because through the years the church has gotten away from the truth? Has the heart become so deceitful that it's dishonest in its approach to God? He's all I need. He's all. That's not true, except for a few. He's not all you need because he's not who you turn to when trouble comes. He's not your great problem solver. The world is, the bank is, the doctor is, the government is. And God says, I just want to wean you away from all of that and bring you to me to where the kingdom of God is your meat and your drink. The kingdom of God is where 
the throne is. You come to the throne of God that you may have mercy and grace in time of need and find help. What's wrong with that? I remember years ago listening to a sermon on the 91st Psalm. The preacher asked a question. I was in Henryville, Indiana in the wee hours of the morning on the right side of the room at my roll-top desk with the red lamp on. I remember some of these moments. Listen to the 91st Psalm. And he said, if this is true, then why should we live like it's not true? If you know that God will protect you and take care of you, why are you getting all this insurance in case he doesn't? You know, I've never professed to be a professor, some great theological giant. But in my simpleness, I could understand that. I say I believe God. I say I'm a Christian. I say and I sing that God is all I need, and yet my life is surrounded with all these options so that I really don't need God. I can sing the song, but I don't need that. I'm not even asking him to take care of me. I'm not depending on him for this. I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got that. I don't need any of that. And the teachers at school, the principal, they about had a meeting at school when I said, I don't want any more Blue Cross Blue Shield as a part of my teaching. I don't want it anymore. I don't even want it in the back of my mind where I'm counting on it just in case. I don't even want it there. And I had kids growing up. I just want to know that I'm totally counting on God to take care of this. And they thought they were nuts. We go to church. I'm glad you do. But I just wanted God's way. I eliminated my savings account, not because I'm against that. I'm not against that. But a preacher borrowed mostly about all the money I had. Well, actually, I got out of debt first because another message had to do with being out of debt. Owe no man anything. Oh, no. If I owe no man anything, how much do I owe? Oh, my. J.C. Penney's, why not buy that? Tape recorder, that was too much. How much is all that? $1,200. How much I got in my savings account? Oh, man. Like $1,200 and a nickel or something. <laughs> and the question, will you walk this way? Or will you join the crowds that talk it but don't live it? I did. I wrote checks the next morning, I think. I wrote checks and paid all. I owed no man anything, and then the preacher borrowed the rest of it to pay his doctor bills. And I was zero balance. And then the phone, and this time, like the phone rings, a Baptist preacher says, will you come and hold me a revival meeting? And I'm thinking, me? I can't even put a sentence together without stuttering. And I say, you all don't know that. That's the way it was with me. Lots of my life. Especially if it started ball. I dreaded banquets, athletic banquets, because half my kids' last names start with a B. <laughs> oh, they did. They did. You don't know. I have overcome a lot. God has been so good to me. And I have dreaded in January the banquet coming in April because of Beck and Brown and Bullinger and whoever else is on there, or Blue or Black or whatever their name was, their last name. 
let alone say basketball or even Bonnie. We used to call her Bobo because that's the way you start. Bobo, Bobo. Bobo, Bobo, how you doing? Now I call her Duana because that's her real name. But anyway, you ask yourself the question, will I do it or not? Will I go preach knowing that the, I, 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 I can't do that? Well, now, are you going to say no because in your own human limitations, you're not capable? God didn't call me being a giant in any category. I wouldn't have accomplished anything. I wasn't the smartest, the greatest, ever wrote a book. I never was the all-world anything. I never. I stuttered, insecure, had acne, all the problems that people have that just makes you want to close the door and everybody get out. And here you are now going out to preach. You get hung up on a word, and people who aren't paying attention, at that point, they do. You know, you're sitting there droning on. They're used to preachers talking, and then all of a sudden you go, Try to say bandwagon one night. Bandwagon. You know, you got to get on a bandwagon. And wagon wouldn't come out. I got the band out. I couldn't say wagon. And I knew I couldn't sit there and go, ooh, because people think you're singing. <laughs> so I said, band cart. <laughs> My buddy, John McCain, who was with me that night, he sat on the front row, and he said, band cart. <laughs> it was either that or sit there and, and have a commercial break until I get <laughs> wagging out of my mouth. He used to say sing it because people who stuttered can sing anything and they never stutter or they can recite together and they never stutter. He used to whisper, sing it, Tom, sing it. Bandwagon. <laughs> well, it's all funny now. It wasn't very funny in those days when after that happened, it was like six or seven hours of darkness. Why me? Why me? I even told the Lord one time, leave me alone. Leave me alone, and out of fear that he would, I was in the hallway in Sellersburg. I was in the hallway, and I said, no, don't, don't. I'm sorry. I'm a miserable person. But that's what he picked. And of all the people to pick in this world, why would he pick me? You guys are so far ahead of the game. You are giants, all you young preachers here. You're giants in the faith. You don't have all that stuff to go through. You're halfway to some pulpit. But an honest heart is a heart that recognizes what you really are, your deficiencies, as well as what you got, your sufficiencies. If you don't have it, you don't try to impress people like you do or act like you do. I would like to. I just don't have that. I'd like to believe that. I wish I could agree with you in prayer for this. Like a lady in Indianapolis years ago came up and she said, Brother Hamlet, I preached on faith. A good night. She came up and she said, would you agree with me tonight that Oral Roberts would start a university here in Indianapolis? Normally, to accommodate that person so he could go to the next, we say, yeah, in Jesus' name, I'm going to start a university. Next. But I remember I couldn't do that. And I said, ma'am, are you sure he wants to start a university in Indianapolis? Now, her response was, because this is what she came to the conclusion that faith was. Well, why wouldn't he? Well, why wouldn't he? I said, well, it's not that he can't. I just don't know that he wants to do that. If I don't know that he wants to do that, I can't agree with you about that. 
Now, she didn't do this, but it was almost like, some faith teacher you are. You can't just agree with anything you want to, like you got some blank check to just, I think I'll agree that, oh, give me five smooth numbers for the big lotto. <laughs> could he? He could. So I said, well, you need six. <laughs> well, you give me the five big ones, and then I'll buy tickets for all the rest of them until I get the Powerball. He doesn't do that. You can't even believe it's going to happen. I'm confessing in Jesus' name, I'm going to win the lottery and build us a church building. It doesn't work like that. Well, I believe it does. Well, then you go right ahead and believe that. Now, Sunday, when you don't get your name drawn, Saturday, don't you come dragging in here with that lip out and pouting and crying and not praying, well, God let me down. God didn't let you down at all. You didn't have what you needed to do that. You wanted it to be because you had noble ideas, but it doesn't work like that. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. A lot of people do try to confess themselves into faith. They think if I can keep saying it, or they'll tell you, this is what I believe, and then they'll say, isn't that right? Well, is it or not? You tell me. Listen to me, all of you. I know what I believe. I don't know specifically what all of you all believe. There are people here that can believe for things that I can't believe for. You're there. I'm not. There are probably, maybe, some things that I can believe for that some of you couldn't. But we're all on the path that God put us on in the direction God is sending us. We're not all believing for the, exactly the same thing, exactly the same way. There is a unity of the faith spoken of in Ephesians 4, but it's a common understanding and agreement about how God brings and does and all of that. But I know what I can believe. I can pray things for my wife, and I can absolutely be sure to work. I have learned in my own family, in my own life, there are certain things when the physical symptoms come up, I can hook my mind into the Lord and say, you know what, as I look back in my life of 71 years, you have never failed me. I've been saved from 1968 on. That's 43 years. You have never failed me. You have always done what you said you would do. Now, therefore, in spite of what's going on, what I'm feeling in my body, I refuse it. I count it to be illegal and an unlawful exercise of the devil against me. And I'm counting on you to continue to bring me forth and bring me health. And I honestly do ignore all the symptoms. I can't deny them, but I can ignore them. And one day you realize, as we all so often do, hey, that's all gone. I've heard some of you give testimonies that, you know, six months ago, a year ago, I was having a problem, and I just realized this week that I don't have that problem anymore. That's what faith does. Faith just releases itself to God, lets God take care of it, walks away from the concern about it. Again, you can't deny it but I refuse to worry about it. It was Jesus who said, I'm sure this is still in the Bible. I don't know about the Reader's Digest Bible, but I know this is in the real Bible. Take no thought. And included in what you take no thought for is for your life. For your life. What if I told you all tonight that none of y'all that are born again own your life anymore? 
What if I told you that it's not even yours? That you've been bought with a price? That your mind and your thinking should be, in what way can I best serve God with what he owns? Because I am accountable. I am accountable. He's given me what he wants me to do. And I say, in, in what way, Lord, can I be of use to you? I count on you to maintain my body. I'll take care of it as best I know how, but it's not foods and exercise that makes me live right. It's trusting in the Lord that makes me live right. But deliver me from foolishness too. I dearly love chocolate. I don't eat much of it that you all know of. No, I like that dark chocolate bar. I buy one about every week, put it in my drawer so the kids can't find it, and munch on a piece every day. I like that. But you know what would happen if I ate three bars a day? I'd smile. <laughs> but it, it might not be good for me. Now, my sensibility, my natural understanding says that. If God said, I want you to eat three bars every day, my natural sensibility is just have to take a vacation because I'm going to do it. Or I want you to eat two Brussels sprouts a day. My natural mind would rise up and say, no way. But I'd do it. Even Brussels sprouts. And they're evil. <laughs> but I would do it. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Talking about your heart. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Note the contrast here. True heart. A true heart, again, is that seat of your affections where either you are an honest man, true to what's there, or you try to deny what he has said and do it your way. See, an evil heart or an evil conscience, evil has to do with what is against God. An evil life is in doubt and unbelief against God. Amen. Wouldn't it be anti-God? Like Hebrews 3, it says, as we look back in the Old Testament and see how those people responded to God with complaining and crying and murmuring, he said, you beware lest there be an evil heart of unbelief in you because the murmurs and the complainers and the crybabies in the church are, in a sense, exercising themselves in an evil heart which is a bad thing. An evil conscience is a kind of conscience that refuses to think of it God's way. It thinks of it some other way. You know you're wrong when you're doing it, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best way to do it. That's an evil conscience. That's not a good heart. But as he said, let us draw near to God with a true heart. God can see the heart. Nobody else can. God can see the heart. He knows the thoughts. He knows the intents of the heart. There's nothing hidden from God. He knows it all. He knows what you're thinking, where you're going, what you did, whatever you did yesterday, yesterweek, what you're thinking right now. He knows. He knows why you pick up the phone to call people and talk to people. You know, I still wonder today why so many people have as close, personal, talking, sharing friends, people who don't even believe what we believe. I could say, what's wrong with you all? What's wrong with you? Don't you know that somebody who can talk you out of your faith qualifies as evil company? 
I don't mean they're evil people as much as the fact that the influence of somebody that is against all of you, against what we believe, and you want to have fellowship and talk to that, I don't get it. We have no policy about who you can fellowship with and who you can't. That's your life and your job. I'm not whatever, General Tom, but I'm just saying that I guard my heart. You should guard your heart. I want to hang around people who can talk the Word of God to me, and I can talk the Word of God back to them. We talk about other things. I like to fellowship with church issues. I like to talk about things that I have to deal with to people that I know have a thinking mind. I wouldn't talk about that to anybody around the town, wherever it was, but I would talk to people that I really want to fellowship with about that. I wouldn't talk to anybody outside of the church. I wouldn't talk to them about it. It is none, yeah. We used to tell our kids, instead of saying none of your business, we just say none, yeah. It isn't. I remember years ago, somebody used to be in our church, and now that could be far more than are here. They left. And the stuff that they said about me, and essentially about us here, and this, that church, I think they call it that church. Used to think our name, instead of Shelbyville Christian Assembly, was T-H-A-T, church, that church. You know, that one. And they just talk like that to you all. Now, when I'm saying you all, I'm not referring to you specifically unless it was true. They would talk about stuff like that, and you'd listen. People that I pastor would listen to that. And I guess I'm not supposed to think Well, what kind of opinion have you now formed? To have those people as your friends, do you think like them now? Did you say, well, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I agree with that. Then why are you here? Why would you want to come here if you believe that? See, that's my fussing moment. My faith gathers to itself brethren of kindred spirits and sisters, people that I can know will, how do you say this in the world? Watch your back. You see, they're gone. Y'all see them? My, My wings are gone. What happened to them? The backbiters got them. That's right. You didn't, did you? Say, we didn't, Brother Hamilton. But when the heart relates to God, and there are other brethren and sisters, other Christians whose heart also relates to God, there is a fellowship there that is, this is not a man word, but there is a fellowship there that is sweet. That's kind of a soft word, but I'll use it because it works, but it's sweet fellowship because you're on the same page. You believe in things the same way because God has given you the same kind of revelation. It's affecting you the same way, and your hearts are clear before the Lord. You're not trying to impress each other. You're not trying to overwhelm anybody. You're not trying to condemn anybody. You just know what you believe. So point one in the kind of faith that God gives Faith is a matter of the heart. Second thing about it, when you have the faith that God gives, you have peace. Now, that also will affect the heart and the way the heart functions. You will have peace. Now, peace is a word describing calmness, quietness, freedom from agitation. When you don't have peace, you have care. Anxiety or carefulness, as the Bible uses it. You're not really sure you're this way 
and you that way the turmoil is raging and you're just not settled yet about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it because you don't have a calm, quiet state of mind. But when you have faith, this is not a good way to describe it, but when the little light comes on and you go, oh, I see it. I see it. You begin a journey now that you won't get off of because now it's I know in whom. It's not I'm trying to get there. I'm hoping this will work. Well, I'm, I'm just... I'm just going to hold on to God. Maybe I can make it. No. When it's faith, you are settled and you're at peace. This probably is to me my greatest assurance and greatest witness that I go by in my life is peace. When I have peace about something, I'm not trying to get it to work anymore. I'm not asking other people what they think about it, and nobody can talk me out of it. Well, I know somebody tried that and died. I'm sorry for them. I really am. Because I know they would have been better off if they had lived and they wanted to live. But I'm not planning on dying because God didn't say you shall trust the Lord and die. He didn't say that. I wrestled with God over this. I spent days walking around and working in the yard, driving down the road, dwelling on this thing and thinking about it. I wasn't exactly sure in all of this, but one day in the process of seeking, one day I found. One day the word entered into my heart and became my assurance. Was it Paul that said, I know in whom I have believed? It was. When there is peace in your heart, there's no doubting, there's no uncertainty. There'll be no faithlessness. You won't be drawn back and, oh, man, this is getting pretty bad. No, when there's peace in your heart, it's like Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, the things that symbolize God's power and closeness. Thy rod, Moses' rod, thy staff kingship. Thy rod and thy staff, they what? They comfort me. And then he says, your buddies will go through the valley with you. Surely goodness and mercy, they'll follow me, you know, all the way, all the way through there. The table will still be prepared for me. My head will still be anointed with all. It will still run over. The creeks will still be clear waters and the grass will be green pastures. My soul's still going to be restored. It's just that Part of this is walking certain ways. It doesn't look good. Yea, though I walk through the valley, I shall fear no evil because I believe God. Remember Paul in Acts 27 on that ship and the thing was bashing against the reef? Bam! And all that cargo was flying out of it and men were holding on to whatever they could and flopping around and Paul made this announcement. He said, Sirs, be of good cheer. When? While you're flopping around? What would a natural mind say? You're crazy. We're dying. Paul said, well, the ship's going to die and the cargo, <coughs> the cargo's going to die. But we're all going to be spared. The angel of the Lord stood by me this night and told me so. So be of good cheer. I believe God. 
Did Paul have peace about that? There was turmoil all around him, wasn't there? He still had to dive in the water. He still had to swim through the waves and swallow that nasty salt water. He still had to do that. He didn't fall out of the boat and say, well, I can just, what are you doing, Paul? I'm walking over here to the shore. I ain't swimming like the rest of y'all unbelievers. I'm walking over here. No. He still had to hurt, still had to go through the pain, still lost everything, but they didn't die. And God performed his word. He didn't say it wouldn't be tough, but he said he would take care of it. Listen, folks, this is not an easy life. There's not a promise on any page in this book that this is easy. On the contrary, Jesus said it is with difficulty. There will be many who will seek to enter in, but you know what Jesus said? They won't be able. Why? Are we going to spend 30, 40, or 50 years, grow up in this church from babies up to adulthood and not make it? Are we going to come to church and do all the stuff we've had and, and been involved? Are we going to spend our whole life coming to this church and not make it? God forbid, but it only works how? Turn to Romans 5 and verse 1. This is where you start. You better get it settled here or you will waste all your time here and not make it. Therefore, being justified by faith. What does justified mean? I mean made right with God. I love to explain this kind of stuff because these are theological matters that are essential. Amen. Essential, necessary. Justified is what God does to a sinner to make him a saint. God forgives him of everything that was between him and God, his sins. God forgives him because the sinner asked for forgiveness and believed God. And even the faith that God gave him to do that with was a gift, Ephesians 2. For by grace through faith are you saved, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen to it again. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, made right with God, being forgiven of our sins, and restored to fellowship with God by acts that only he can do, we have what? Peace. Does your Bible say that? We have peace with God? Number one, how do we have peace with God? How can a man find peace with God? We ask it all the time. Have you made your peace with God? What does that mean? It means that God has saved you. That is, God has rescued the perishing, as the song said. God has reached down and drug you up out of the miry clay. You couldn't drag yourself up. It's not works. It's grace. Or as my Irish ancestors would say, it's grace. It's grace. Grace. That's how he does it. Thomas here, no matter how good he tried to be and how marvelously cooperative he tried to be in the church, become the best Methabaptist Presbycostal that ever lived, he cannot save himself. Right. If you can do anything to save yourself, you deserve to be saved, and you did not need Jesus. 
and everything he did was for nothing because you can get saved without him. But if you can't get saved without him, then you can only get saved by him and through him. So that whatever it takes to be saved had to come from him. It came from Jesus to him. You're saved, aren't you, Thomas? God gave this boy one day a word, a word about his life. Troubled him, bothered him. He realized that, you know, with nobody around, I am not what I wish I was and what I'd like to be. I'm lost man. I'm doomed. I'm doomed to the judgment that all sinners deserve. There really is a place of judgment awaiting me when I die. If I die today, I perish. And a loving God, says Thomas, gets him on the head, points him to Jesus. This is what he did. He didn't need to do it for himself. He did it for you. You needed him to do that because there's no other way. You couldn't get on that cross and die. You're a sinner. He wasn't. He didn't sin. He was a sin offering. He was a sin offering. He took your place and died in your stead for your stinking sins. And he died the way he did. And then God raised him from the dead, verifying that this was the truth. He wouldn't raise a liar. He raised him from the dead. And you can preach that at every evangelical meeting you've ever been to, but one day for somebody, it comes clear. And you think, oh God, I am a sinner. Lord, I am dying in my sins. And the Lord says, but I'm willing to save you. And he puts a little bit of faith in your heart. And Thomas said, yes, yes. And he asked God to save him and forgive him of his sins because now he believes in somebody he's never seen. He believes in the existence of somebody he can't prove. Can't prove anything. He just believes in somebody he's never seen. But when he exercises this simple little matter of faith, God suddenly does something on the inside of a young man's heart. And all the turmoil just lets go. All the anxiety and the agitation, all of it lets go. And there is in that moment this wonderful peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over this young spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. And a man rises up from a time of repentance and a smile comes on a face. You have no idea like Abraham. You don't know where you're going or what's going to happen. Who's going to whip you tomorrow because of your faith? You don't know, but you don't care. I've got mm, like a river. I've got like a river. I've got <clears throat> like a river in my... What do I have like a river in my soul? Peace. Peace. The world's still nuts. The world's still nuts. The car still won't start and it's still snowing. And my wife has that look on her face, oh, no. And it's all the same, except now you're in a world with a different view. I have been made right with God through faith. Isn't that what he said? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Have you had that happen to you all yet? Has that type of thing that this young man has had happened to him, has it happened to you? Can you say today, I know 
in whom I had believed, and beyond the shadow of any doubt, if I died right now, in just a moment from right now, I'll be in heaven. No question. I am sure. How many people are like that? I've said that before in churches. I've been to a thousand of them. And it got so quiet. I had them laugh at a few things, and while they were laughing, I'd say that, and then it all just, oh, no. Because they were just religious people. They lived like they had assurance. They just didn't know for sure. It wasn't the framework of their heart. They had no peace. First little mistake they make is, well, oh, I've lost my soul. You don't get saved and get lost and get saved and get lost. You get saved and you're saved. That much of me is Baptist. Closing. Go to Romans 15 and verse 13. Paul says, now, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May your faith have such an impact on you that you are full of joy and peace. Peace. Freedom from mental agitation. Peace. And joy. How could you not have joy if you had peace? In believing. Notice that you may abound in expectation or hope through the power of the Holy Ghost, for that's what he promotes. For the kingdom of God, listen to me, the kingdom of God in chapter 14 is not meat and drink. It's not legal rules. It's not a law. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Oh, the Holy Ghost will set your feet a-dancing. The Holy Ghost will thrill you through and through. You ever hear that one? The Holy Ghost will set your feet a-dancing and set your heart a-dancing too. Too many good verses to sing. In the Bible, we can read that in the latter days, men shall leave their first love and turn to carnal ways. But true-born saints of Jesus, for the bridegroom set apart, are waiting for his coming with a joyful dancing heart. Oh, the Holy Ghost. Oh, it's so much fun to sing that. Won't you teach it to us? No. Close your Bibles. Praise the Lord. We give you thanks tonight, Lord, for your goodness to us for meeting our need tonight to hear your word and to think about it and to ponder it. Let it go home with us tonight. Occupy the very chambers of our mind. The place where you dwell, may you flood us with the truth so that we wake up in the morning thinking about the word of God. May we live all of our days thinking about the word of God. We need it, Lord. Bless these folks here tonight, I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen.